We don't pray as much as we should. Well, first of all, we're busy, right? We don't take the time. And I enter here stories of the old saints and the aligning of all of our priorities. You know, those that used to say, I got so much to do today, I needed to spend two hours in prayer instead of one hour in prayer. And then, then we feel guilty. And I mean, how many hours can we possibly spend praying anyway? I can't even pray a few minutes and then I'm all overcome with the things I have to do. And so guilt doesn't really work. Maybe we'd enter here some examples of people who, who faithfully do pray, and, and, and we could emulate those and, and begin to be like them, but those only last a certain amount of time anyways. But we do have to start somewhere. So believe it or not, I have a little secret. Summertime. Summer, believe it or not, is a great time to be thinking about prayer. Now, why? Because we tend to make time for ourselves during the summer, maybe more than any other time. Now, I will admit that coming back to the United States, one of the most difficult things in cultural readjustment was the fact that I found that summers didn't slow down anymore. Having been over there for so many of them, and because of the heat like we have today, without air conditioning that we lived in for all those years, you just are forced to slow down. Came back to the States and found out Life doesn't slow down in the summer. It just changes, right? And I'm still adjusting to that. But I do, t- I do tend to see that we, we find time to do what we'd like to in the summer. We do make time and take time in some ways to have some downtime in the summer. What a great opportunity to be thinking about prayer. Now, wait a minute. I wanted to do what I want to do. Well, I'll show you. There's some great ways to use that downtime to deepen this spiritual activity. So my answer to there being not enough time is really to take your time. If there is an opportunity, it would be in the summer to make a little bit of time. And there's a spiritual principle that that fits this. And I'll I'll show you that in Matthew chapter 6. So if you want to turn there, this is where we're going to be. Matthew chapter 6. And in verse 7, just before he gets to what we know as the Lord's Prayer that we'll get to in a minute, He has a principle he wants to get across. He says, this is what I call the don't babble principle. I'm not sure the Lord would call it that, but I call it that. Verse 7 of chapter 6 says, When you pray, do not keep babbling like the pagans do. For they think that they'll be heard because of their many words. You see, one of the secrets in prayer I learned from my father. The Bible doesn't say you have to pray long. It just says pray often. Now, you pray often enough, and you'll end up praying long. But you don't have to start with the idea that you've got to sit there for an hour and a half with a thousand things to say. Start with the often idea. Don't babble. Rather, focus. Speak genuinely. And he wants to hear you say the truth back to him. He likes that. God expects that. Now, we already know he knows what you're going to say. But for some reason, he loves to hear you say it. So don't hurry. Try this. And let's see if this doesn't begin to change our approach to something that we know we need to be involved in more. Now, there's another reason why uh, we don't pray as we should, and, and, and that would be because there's mystery involved. We don't understand a lot about prayer, right? I mean, you start asking yourself some honest questions about prayer. And there's a lack of certainty, isn't there? We can't see the one we're talking to. In fact, when I was meeting with the Hesses this week, their older daughter was asking her mother questions like that. 
Why do I talk to Jesus? I can't see him. Where is he? Not a bad question. Can't see him. Is he really there? Is he listening? There's a lack of control. He's in control. We aren't. I mean, the very act of prayer is assuming that he will care for these things, not us. There's a lack of trust sometimes. He asks us to enter into this dark uh, exercise, and he, he wants us to take this time, but we don't know if it's really going to do any good. Do we really trust that this works? There's a lack of sight. He asks us to adjust our eyes to this kind of darkness, and and others tell us that we'll get used to it. Just give it a try. But we're not so sure. There's a lack of sight. There's a lack of knowledge. He asks us to see, metaphorically, beyond what we can actually see and believe. Well, how do I know if that really works? Well, no wonder we, we don't like to pray. <laughs> Why bother? We can't know as much as we want to know about this shrouded reality. And what difference does it make? And why spend Precious time kind of groping around in the dark asking for stuff you aren't even sure God's hearing, let alone answering. Now, I can't dispel all of the doubts and questions and and mysteries we might have about prayer because I think God wants it that way. You see, not to be shrouded and not tell us, but to foster faith. When he defines faith for us in the book of Hebrews, he says, the certainty of things unseen. Not unknown, but unseen. And there's a difference. So if the Bible is our accepted truth and our point of reference and it tells us to pray, we must pray. We know that. But we don't seem to find a satisfactory application of that knowledge, if we're honest. And it's been on my heart for some time to talk about this topic of prayer. And I believe we need to, in order to be prepared for what we are going to begin starting this fall in our new ministry plan. And I know you know what that is, because I sent you a letter about it. For those of you who faithfully came to the business meeting, you heard me talk about this for an hour. And so I'm sure you know, but somebody out there is going, what ministry plan? I didn't know about that. Oh, yeah, that, that letter was way too long. All right, here, I'll sum it up for you. We're here to develop people. That's what we're about. And we're going to do that by relentlessly pursuing three major objectives. Gathering, serving, and learning. It's real simple. We're here to develop people, and we're going to do that by pursuing these ministry objectives. Gathering, serving, and learning. And we're going to begin to implement that in a three-year plan by emphasizing one of these each particular year. And the first year is it's better to gather. And you're going to see what that's going to translate into in the year to come. And then the second year, it's going to be, it's greater to serve, just like Jesus taught us. And then the final year is going to be, it's wiser to learn, gather, serve, and learn. And I believe God wants us to do this because, because of the chosen individuals who have developed this particular idea and because this is nothing other than a clear and simple expression of what God has told us to do. However... I also believe that all the plans in the world and this particular one is meaningless if we are not pursuing God's plan for us on our knees. And so I'd like to take these weeks prior to our stepping into this new plan, preparing our hearts through prayer. 
Phil Yancey is going to help us a little bit with this as I read his book, Prayer, and have a number of things to share with you from him. He was on a quest to deepen his understanding and answer some of the perplexing questions that surround prayer. And he says, everywhere I encountered a gap between prayer in theory and prayer in practice. In theory, prayer is the essential human act, a priceless point of contact with God, the God of the universe, right? But in practice, prayer is often confusing and fraught with frustration. My publisher conducted a website poll of 678 respondents, and only 23 of these were satisfied with the time they were spending in prayer. Increasingly, time pressures uh, crowd out the leisurely pace that prayer seems to require. Communication with other people keeps getting shorter and more cryptic, Text messaging, emailing, instant messaging. And when he wrote this book, Twittering didn't even exist yet. We have less and less time for conversation, let alone contemplation. We have the constant sensation of not enough. Not enough time, not enough rest, not enough exercise, not enough leisure. Where does God fit into a life that already seems behind schedule? You see, and that's true with each other. I love saying this. You can hear it a lot. I am not against technology. I just went and my phone's dying, so I had to go buy another one, and I finally bought a data plan, which I just believe is of the devil that I have to pay for this data plan. But anyway, because i got to have it, and it's necessary, otherwise I'm falling behind. So, So it's not that I'm against the technology, but because of all of our technology, we tend to communicate and not converse, right? Oh, yeah, yeah, you know, you really need to have a conversation with that person. Yeah, 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 I'll, I'll write them an email. That's not a conversation. I'll text them. Yeah, that's worse. I'll tell you what, I'll post something on Facebook. That's even worse! We don't converse anymore face-to-face. And that translates into our relationship with God. Because you know what happens? We don't contemplate anymore. We communicate and we move on. Oh yeah, by the way, this, 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 this. Rub-a-dub-dub, thanks for the grub. Yay, God, thanks. And we're done. That's not prayer. But, once again... If the Bible is our accepted truth and point of reference, then we must pray. It tells us to. Yancey, once again, if prayer stands at the place where God and human beings meet, then I must learn about prayer. Most of my struggles in the Christian life circle around two themes. Why God doesn't act the way we want God to, and why I don't act the way God wants me to. And prayer is the precise point where those two converge. We must take the time. But it's not an investment in time without knowledge. We can ask and he can show us the way. And so the answer to this question of, you know, of of misunderstanding, of mystery, is learning from Jesus' instruction. 
And I know that because there was a day when the disciples came to him and said, teach us to pray. And so he gave us what we know as the Lord's Prayer, but it's really our prayer. The Lord's Prayer is in John chapter 17. Go read that. It's a beautiful prayer. But this prayer in Matthew chapter 6 is actually a prayer that's ours. Pray like this. So read it with me as we read Matthew 6, 9 to 13. Our Father. In heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Let me unwrap this just one phrase at a time. Today, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Why should we pray? We pray because we need him. Now, let me show you that real quickly in some simple understandings of these words. You see, this prayer is such a great model, but you've gotten it kind of out there and misunderstood because you just say it. Some of you have grown up in traditions that cause you to say that a hundred times for certain purposes. No. Let's take this apart word for word and you'll find some amazing things about the beauty of this natural exercise of prayer. First word, our. What could that word tell us? That this is a personal act, yes, but it's also a collective connection. We're not alone in speaking to this one we're speaking to. Prayer is an act of accessing God who is not just concerned about wanting to hear from us. He's interested in hearing from us regarding more than just us. I want you to notice that our means that we're not in this alone, even as human beings. It's more about each other and more about our greater good than it is just about us. We like to talk about our personal relationship with Jesus Christ. By that, we don't mean an individual relationship with Jesus Christ. There's a difference. And it's true, each and every one of us has to come to a point in time where we personally understand our need and accept Jesus Christ as our personal Lord and Savior. But that doesn't make this Christian walk something that is as individual as much as it is collective. Relationships, connection, personal care and concern for each other and doing something about that is at the very heart of God because when He teaches you to pray, the first thing He says is, Our. That's the first word. Why didn't He say, this is how you pray, My Father in Heaven. He didn't say that. Our Father in Heaven. When you pray, who do you pray for? Just for yourself? Is it simply personal? And if it includes somebody else, let's be honest, do we pray things for other people because it would make our lives easier if God answered? Do we intentionally pray with the best interest of other people in mind? You see, prayer is implicitly plural, not singular. Yet we have rendered it intensely individual. Because prayer is about me, my needs and my God who will meet my needs. But Jesus didn't say that. First word! Oh yeah, when you pray, our Father. You enter into 
a collective conversation. That's why we pray with each other and for each other. This is not meant to be yours. This is meant to be ours. And Jesus makes that abundantly clear in the very first word he uses when he teaches people to pray. Now, he mouthed solitary prayer. He got up early in the morning, went out into the hills. He spent nights uh, out praying with his father. And you would think that he might say, pray like me, my father in heaven. But he didn't. Because prayer is implicitly plural. We pray with and for each other. Does this mean we can never pray alone? Absolutely not. But it means that when we pray, we are praying for each other. And implicitly, it means we pray with each other. Prayer is intensely personal, but that doesn't make it individual. And prayer is implicitly plural. So the the obvious application is when you pray, do you always pray alone? You can, but do you intentionally pray with others? This is not intended to be primarily an individual activity. This is by design meant to be done with and for each other. So we're going to give you a new opportunity for that. The next couple of weeks I'll give you the details. I don't know all of them yet because we're still working them out. But we're going to offer one more corporate opportunity, collective opportunity to pray together. Because God's laid it on the heart of a few here that we don't pray enough with and for each other and for this church specifically. Now, there are opportunities that already exist. Wednesday mornings, uh, some men meet. Thursday mornings, some women meet. Uh, in our small group settings, I trust that we're spending time in prayer. And, and there's no one magic place or time. But we want to give another opportunity to come together in a midweek meeting and do nothing but pray. Because He is our Father. And prayer is implicitly plural. And we have unfortunately rendered it far too individualistic. Second word, our Father. Now what could that mean? Follow this. This is a powerful term. See, the word here is Abba. It's a child's word. It's, it's, it's like saying daddy. It's a term of intimacy of a father and his, and his only son. And uh, I guess daddy kind of renders that. Of course, I'm partial to the Italian language. So uh, my son, uh, from a very young age, used to refer to me in Italian as babbo. Now, you could say uh, father. But he always called me Babbo. And that term, particularly in the area that we lived in, was a very endearing term. And the Italians were struck by the fact that, that we were Americans, but this child, who was born and raised there, really as much theirs as ours, used to speak to me that way. And, and that's the kind of terminology that we see here. Daddy. Jesus always used this term when he referred to his father. Listen to Yancey again. The Bible sometimes emphasizes the distance between humans and God. Subjects of a king, defendants before a judge, servants of a master. And sometimes emphasizes the closeness. The bride and a bridegroom, sheep and a shepherd, God's offspring. Without question, though, Jesus himself taught us to count on the closeness. In In his own prayers, he used the word Abba an informal sort of address that Jews before him had not used in prayer. A new way of praying was born. No one in the Old Testament addressed God as Father. But Jesus did it 
170 times in the New Testament. Wow. Do you see what's happened here? We get to the New Testament, something brand new begins. You never spoke to God as Father in the Old Testament, but now that Jesus has come, He models this closeness, this intimacy, this personal, heartfelt exchange. He tells us to speak to God as if He were our Daddy, this intimate, personal act. Not individual as much as personal. Pray this way. Daddy, let's talk. Now, why do I emphasize this so much? Because there was one time in the New Testament when Jesus did not refer to his father in this term of daddy. Just one. And it's very significant. It's a a quote from Psalm 22. And he said it when he was hanging on the cross. In that moment, he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And why did he in that moment say that? Because that was the one moment that that intimate relationship was broken, separated. And for your sin and mine, He was in time and space, and mysteriously, eternally, separated from His Father to pay for your sin. And because he had that one moment in space and time, separated from his father, unable to refer to him as daddy, you and I will never have to do that. You'll never have to say, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because he never will and he never does. He's always your daddy if you have placed your faith in him. That's how we're supposed to pray. So when you pray, what kind of terminology do you use? Do you speak to Him in this kind of closeness and and intimacy? Is, Is there any difference in how you talk with Him and how you might talk with your closest friend? What kind of intimacy do you know and live in your prayer with your Heavenly Father? That's how you should pray. Daddy, let's talk. You see, this is collective, this is intimate, but we need more than just company and we need more than just empathy. Next words, our Father in heaven. What could that mean? I thought he was close. I thought he was intimate. Well, what's, what's about this, him being in heaven? This is not about distance. This is about supremacy. This is about him being everything, the great God of the universe, the creator and sustainer of all things, the initiator of the plan and the planet, the only one worthy of being called God. As close as he is, he's still God. As caring as he is, he's still sovereign. As understanding as he is, he still sees the big picture. So when you pray, you're praying to a daddy who cares for you, but he's not just empathetic. Oh dear, you poor thing, I don't know what to do either. You're speaking to a God who says, I love you. I care for you. I have it all under control. Because I am still God. I am still the Lord of the heavens and the earth. I am the King of kings. I am the ruler of the universe. You can trust me. When you pray, do you keep this in mind? 
Do you remind yourself and Him of who He is over everything? Do you practice articulating His sovereignty over all things and your circumstances and your burdens and your cares? He wants to hear you say, yes, you are in heaven, sovereign, supreme, powerful, able to care for everything. And it is that contrast that begs for the next words. Hallowed be your name. And this is the application of the entire first phrase. Because we're supposed to be in this together, because we are to speak to him as a child, speaks to his daddy, because he is sufficient in all of his supremacy to know, see, and act, we must pray specifically and speak of his greatness. We must thank him for this not just being about you, but about being us. That there are others you can pray for, and, and you do. There are others who pray for you, and do. Thank Him for letting you call Him by such a personal name. Daddy. Thank Him for being so near, and yet being so over it all. Suppose I said, let's pray. This is what I mean. Take a little time this summer. You create some downtime. You get to the beach. You work a little less. You get off early. You find some time. Take your time. And just start to do a few things like this. Not long, but often. Why? Because we need Him. We need Him. You see, I think a critical answer to our difficulty of time and hurriedness and frenetic lifestyle that crowds out all that we know we're supposed to have and dehydrates our walk with Christ is reminding ourselves just exactly who we're talking to. This is about the God of the universe who is in heaven over all. He is supreme, but He is also Abba, Babu, Daddy. And he's our daddy. And he's concerned about you. And he's concerned about all of, all of those around you. Take your time. Will you do that this week? Not just to pray, but to pray with others. Did you find a little time to do that? This is collective and intimate at the same time. And when you pray... Pray to your daddy, Abba, Father. Speak with words of closeness, of intimacy. You should be talking to him the way you speak to your closest friend. And when you pray, remind yourself and him that he is over all things. Practice articulating his sovereignty over all and not just griping about your concerns. And finally, hallowed be your name. When you pray, tell him of his greatness. Thank him for this not just being about you. Thank him for letting you call him by such a a personal name when in fact he is so sovereign over everything. Tell him of his greatness. Hallowed be 
your name, O God. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for leaving us such a simple, clear, detailed example of how to pray. We have so much to learn. Even those of us who have prayed for a long time, thank you for some reminders. Thank you for eyes that are being opened to things we haven't understood before. Continue to teach us. And I pray as we find these times in the summer of relaxation, rest, and restoration, we would often turn to you. Perhaps not for long, but often expressing these things that we know. If we are in this together, that you are our daddy, that we can trust you as sovereign and good and true and powerful, and that you are worthy of all of our gratitude, honor, praise, and thanksgiving. Hallowed be your name, O God.